Welcome to Wellspring. If you're new or visiting, checking us out. My name is Tony. Uh, I have the privilege of serving here as pastor. If you're in uh, elementary school, grade school, and you'd like to hang out with some other folks your size and age, feel free. Miss Jeannie is back there. Feel free to go over to her. She would love to hang out with you. Who here today has someone in their family that is a little bit sick? There's a lot of us. I had that cold this week, not fun, not liking it, but I'm glad you guys made it this morning. Good to have you. Now, if you've uh, been around our journey over the last year or so, uh, you've seen that God has done a pretty incredible thing in this place. When I arrived here about 15 months ago, you know, I think basically when we came here, there was like basically this side of the church was kind of empty and then everyone was sort of crouched into this side of the church, all 60 of us. And uh, it was, uh, it's been a fun journey watching God breathe new life into this place, seeing God bring transformation. Now, this month, we're taking a break from the Gospel of John. So we've been going just slowly, week by week, through the Gospel of John since May. We're taking a break to explore what does it look like for us to seek first the kingdom of God in this place, in this season, in the midst of our transition together. Now this week, we thought we'd take a look at Acts 2, 42 to 47 uh, for a few reasons. One, Acts 2, uh, 42 for 7 is a picture of the first church community and what they did together, how they sought first the kingdom. And we were wondering, maybe their, their example could actually speak into our life together and give us some practices, some rhythms that might shape how we move through this transition together. Secondly, the Acts 2 community is this growing community, right? They went from this small little group of people. Now they have all these individuals coming. And this question is, how do they move from a collection of individuals to a community of people seeking first the kingdom in first century Jerusalem? Now, if you have no idea what Acts 2, 42 to 47 is, uh, let me give you a little background So when we first started in this replant about 15 months ago, we studied through the book of Acts. And we actually took a month and just looked at these five verses. The basic background is this. Jesus, uh, as God, takes on human flesh. The first thing he does, one of the first things he does is he gathers together a group of apprentices, followers, that he doesn't meet with them one-on-one in a coffee shop. He forms them to a community, right? And over three years, he apprentices them. And what does it look like to follow the Father? What does it look like to embody what it means to be a follower of God the Father on earth, right? So Jesus passes that on, but, right, Jesus is crucified. He dies. This little group of people is hopeless in the world, wondering what they're going to do, but by the power of God, Jesus is resurrected, right? He comes to this group of people, and he says, all right, you guys, I've taught you. I've worked with you, and now I am sending you to be my witnesses in the world from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth, And he says to them, all right, I'm going to ascend to be with the Father. He goes up to be with the Father, right? And he says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. The Holy Spirit comes, breathes life into this group of people. The power of God animates them, right? And then we see in Acts 2, this profound work of God as all these people start joining this Jesus movement. And it's this powerful, powerful picture of God bringing life into a group of people. And at the end of Acts 2, Two, we see this picture. So what do they actually do together? Not what they believe, but what do they actually do? And this is what Luke writes. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. 
And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, my experience, and maybe you're among this group, is there's, this elicits a few reactions in any gathered community. The first is sort of idealism. So it's like, if only we could just do those things, we'd basically go back to Eden and everything would be perfect, right? But there's sort of a discounting of like human sin and brokenness in this narrative. It's like, if we just prayed together more, if we just studied the scriptures, if we were just more generous with our stuff, it's like Eden would come on earth. But not so much, right? You get into Acts 5, you have Ananias and Sapphira, you have people lying about what they're doing. It's like the sin of humanity infiltrates even the early church. It's not a perfect place. But on the other side, you can go from idealism now to cynicism to be like, oh, that's just a honeymoon, you know? Honeymoon as in a break from reality, right? It's like you go on your honeymoon, now you're back to real life, right? And the cynics among us are like, well, come on, Tony, like, it's not going to really, like, church is just kind of going, plodding through the motions. Uh, it's a little boring. You know, do we really see the excitement and transformation of God? That's the cynic's voice, the sort of disenchantment of our culture that disavows and sort of negates the transcendent power of God to break into everyday life and transform things. So what is realism? Well, as all you know, right, and every cynic thinks there's a realist. They're a realist. If you're married to one, you know what that feels like. But what is realism here? I think realism is the fact that sort of accepting that even if we do these practices, that doesn't mean that the kingdom of God is going to come immediately, right? The kingdom of God comes via God, not our practices. But there is a hope that if we take seriously what this early church is doing, that maybe we'll discover some practices and rhythms that form us and shape us into the kind of people that are transformed into Jesus' image. And maybe as we lean into these practices as a people, God will show up in cool and profound ways. So as we lean into Acts 2, my hope is this. Maybe an analogy would help. So who here, upon visiting this church for the first time, felt like they were lost? Like literally in the building, like, how do I find my way around? You know, if you didn't have a guide, like I remember the first time I visited here, it's like, there's a basement, there's an upstairs, there's this building over on the side many of you probably have never even seen. It's like, if someone set you in here, you'd probably get lost. You kind of need a guide to help you navigate this building. And the same is true in life, right? We often think we can approach following Jesus you know, read the Bible, rock it on our own, and think, man, we're going to do this. But the truth is we can't. And my hope is that Acts 2 offers some signposts, some rhythms, some scaffolding that will be a guide to us so that we can embrace what does it mean for us to be a people seeking God's kingdom, a people seeking after God's heart, not just in the first century, but in the 21st century along the peninsula. Now, I want to do this for a few reasons. I think sometimes we return to Acts 2 with this sort of hope of like, oh, we're going to develop community and it's going to be awesome. And yes, I want us to have this knitted community. But I also want to say that actually how we do community has profound implications for our witness in the world. John 13 says this, By this, 
people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That actually how we do community in these walls, how we move from a collection of individuals to a community of people actually has profound implications for our impact in the world, how we embody the welcome of God. It's not simply about us cultivating friends, but us loving to one another, being transformed into Jesus' image so that folks that are inside and outside church walls come and we're like, whoa, God is here. Is that a water bottle? No, it's like, I'll, I'll catch it. The slant, the room slant. So what I want to do today is I want to highlight a few practices that I think are essential for us to begin leaning into what does it look like for us to seek first the kingdom of God in this place as a church, in this season of our life together, in this concrete place in Pacific Grove that we call Wellspring. The first way is this. In Acts 2, what we see is that they made time for one another. Right? The assumption of verses 42 to 47 is the people are together. Verse 44 says it explicitly. All who believed were together. Right? Verse 42, they use this word koinonia. Right? It's this profound New Testament word about them participating in something together. Right? They study the scripture together. They pray together. They spend enough time together that they actually know each other's needs and are able to try and meet them together. They attend temple together. Then they go and hang out in each other's homes together, eating food. They break bread. They share communion. Right? They make time to actually share their possessions with one another. I would say actually making time is the unsaid but absolute prerequisite to this shared life that we see in Acts 2. Now, on the one hand, this sounds a little silly, kind of pedestrian, like, duh, like they spent time together. And yet, I think time is the place that most of us actually get stuck and hung up, right? Because we feel like we don't have enough of it. This diagram, I think, sort of gives us some picture of this, right? It's like, we feel like we are having to negotiate all these different spheres in our life, right? You have work, you have hobbies, you have church, you have sports, you have children, you have friends, you have school, and countless others, Whether you are retired, in high school, in middle school, middle of life, in your early 20s, it doesn't matter. We all feel like we are juggling so much stuff. We try and figure out, how do we cram it all in? The joke I used to tell when we had little, little kids was, you know, even when you have little kids, like even sleep is not off the table. It's like you go, you lay next to each other, and you look at each other, and you don't even say good night. You just look at each other and say good luck, you know? No matter where, what stage we are at in life, we all feel like we don't have enough time. So then what does it look like then for us to seek first the kingdom of God? Well, I think we need to address, there's a couple undercurrents, certain assumptions, I think, in American Christianity of what does it mean to be faithful that I think we need to just look at squarely. For instance, I think most of us, there is sort of an unsaid narrative that to be a faithful follower of Jesus is to do a few things. One, you're probably going to read your Bible on your own. If you're really faithful, you'll probably share the gospel with a coworker on your own. You might actually pray in the mornings on your own. And then once a week for an hour, you'll come to a building where you actually hang out with other people, right, to worship God. And I think most of us, this is sort of the default assumption of what it means to be faithful. And I think there's actually a lot 
that's good and beautiful about this, right? I think most of us would feel like we were rocking it, right, if we were doing this. But I also want to say, I don't actually think this is the picture of faithfulness that we find in the New Testament. I think it is part of it, but it is not the complete picture. I mean, think about John 13, right? How does the world know whose we are? Who are, who, whose apprentices we are, right? By how we love one another. Right, we get into Romans 12. What does Romans 12 say? How are, who are we as a body, right? We are a body of many parts that actually need one another to function in the world. But neither of those are really teased out in this faithful, this picture of the faithful Christian that is primarily an individualistic experience of connection to God. But right, Jesus... He didn't call disciples and say, okay, let's meet on Monday. You know, Peter, you and I have Monday morning. John, you and I have Tuesday morning. James, uh, let me see where I can squeeze you in. How about Thursday? No, he formed a community of people, right? And they traveled together. So they made time for one another. What did they do with this time? We see a few things. One, they studied the scriptures together. Right, verse 42 tells us that this first church was devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, for us, we're kind of like, uh, what's that mean? You know? But when you actually look at the New Testament, what you see is that all the books of the New Testament either are written by the apostles or bear the apostles' blessing. So when that translates into our context is that we are devoted to the scriptures. Right? We are a people who are devoted to the scriptures. Now, this devoted has this interesting ongoing quality in Greek. So it's not like they picked it up one day and set it down the next. They're persisting in studying, reading the Bible and the scriptures. Actually, there's this really interesting wordplay happening in this uh, text. So verse 42 says, devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now, verse 46, there's this line. It says, and day by day, they went to the temple. Day by day and devoted are the same word in Greek. And they both illustrate this persisting, right? They persisted in going to the temple together where they would hear the scriptures read. And then they persisted in studying the scriptures together in community. In both instances, in community, not simply as individuals, they're together being shaped and formed by the scriptures. Now, I think this has a few implications, right? You have this group of people that are discipled by Jesus. The Spirit comes, then all these people are added to their numbers. One of the things that's interesting, if you imagine, all these people are coming from different assumptions. It's this collection of individuals that are now gathering together, but they don't have similar ideas of necessarily what it means to follow Jesus. They're from different sects, from different experiences, and they come together, and what happens? They're now shaped as a people in their idea of God and the kingdom, what does it mean to seek first the kingdom? They're shaped communally by the scriptures. Now, for me, uh, some of you know this, the first time I ever studied the Bible uh, was actually in college with a group of people. I had never studied the Bible. I'd never read the Bible until I was on a football recruiting trip. And I was invited by this guy to come and study this Bible. Uh, and he's like, here, check it out. So I show up and there's a bunch of us around the room and they hand me a little piece of paper and it has Mark 4 written on it, the parable of the sower. And they're like, okay, take some time, you know, read it and then we'll talk. And we did. 
And it was this really rich discussion, right? Because I had all these blind spots. I had no idea what to do with this thing in front of me. And in community, I learned, oh, okay, I see this. And then someone else said, oh, I see this. And I realized, oh, there's all these different pictures, perspectives, takes on what's happening here. What I also realized was, in time, this group of people at college, right? We all came from different states. We all came from different church backgrounds. We came from all these different assumptions of what it meant to participate in the kingdom. But as I went to this first Bible study and continued my freshman year, studying the gospels together, particularly the gospel of Mark, we learned together what does it look like for us to follow Jesus? What does it look like for us to seek first the kingdom? Not just me reading my Bible on my own and this person reading on their own, but together we came up with a common vision of the kingdom. Now I share this story uh, for a few reasons, because, but mostly because I think we're at this really important moment as a church. You know, in the last 15 months, you know, we've gone from uh, 60 folks-ish right, that had really been together for decades, right? They had a common assumption of who Jesus was, that a common assumption of what it meant to participate in the kingdom, all right? And now over the last 12 months, all these new people, most of you guys, right, have come in the last even six months, and we're bringing in all these different assumptions of what does it mean to participate in the kingdom? Who is Jesus? Who is God? What does it look like to seek first the kingdom based on our traditions, our experiences, right? Some of us have never been at church. And I think we're at this really cool opportunity where communally, right, we can come together, be shaped by the scriptures and align with what does it look like for us to seek Jesus, align our hearts and lives with Jesus, to seek first the kingdom in this place. But the thing is, right, they didn't just study the scriptures together with the time they made they also prayed for one another, right? Luke makes it pretty clear in verse 43. They didn't just study the Bible. They also prayed together. And they pray, prayed about all kinds of things. They prayed probably like, what do we do with all these new people that are coming in here, you know? There was a lot of people that didn't like them, right? They were not excited about the Jesus movement, and they probably prayed for God's protection over them. They probably prayed as we would, Right? for illnesses and sickness that we would grow, right? In the midst of the confusion of first century life, they're trying to figure out what does it look like to be faithful? And they're helping one another to do that. They prayed for all kinds of things. And I think for us, right, as we enter this season, what does it look like for us to seek first the kingdom? I think it really does connect to prayer for a few reasons. First is, I think we need a common vision for who God is forming us into, It's not something just I do. It's not like I just sit up here and say, this is where we're going, right? God is going to speak to us as a community and lead us into his image in this place. And our role is not simply to say, what does Tony think? But what does God have to say about who we are going to become? In order to do that, we need to gather together to hear God's voice so that we can faithfully follow him from this place and into all the cracks and fissures of our life, our lives together. I think there's truth in that, right? That's one of the reasons on Tuesday morning, right? There's a group of people that just listen and pray. It's the reason why we have these worship nights, just to create space to worship God and listen to his voice so that we can discern where is God going because we want to follow him. 
But I think there's another layer here too. I, I think, you know, as we come from this collection of individuals and move into a community of people, I think prayer becomes one of the best ways for us to learn how to support one another and be known by one another. One of the things that surprised me so much about church life is how much we just kind of do it on our own, right? How much we just sort of think, all right, I'm kind of, I'm lost, but at least I'm lost on my own and I'm sort of self-reliant in the midst of it and it makes me feel okay, right? I led this group a couple uh, years ago, this group of guys, it was just over a few months in the summer. And I asked one of them to write his sort of thoughts about it after. This is what he wrote. This is Josh Adams, a friend of mine. He says, as a father, I spent most of my life in a routine that focuses only on my family and work. Most of my struggles are processed internally without any help from others. This group, right, this little collection of six or seven guys coming together to pray together. This group gave me an opportunity to share some of my struggles without being judged and be prayed for. I am 33 years old and have never had even one Christian friend in my life that I thought I could be real with. Praying for and being, and being prayed for filled a massive gap I have had in my spiritual life. One of the things that is always surprising to me is how much we sort of keep others at a distance. It's like, we don't really want to make our needs known because then we're afraid that if we do, people are going to shame us or we're going to feel like less than. One of the things that Josh Adams discovered in this group is that actually as he journeyed with these other guys and let them into his life, prayed for them, and he was prayed for, he actually grew more into Jesus's image in that season than any other time in his life. It's also the case, right, that he then had a few friends on the journey that he could walk with. And I think we're at this really interesting season at Wellspring where it's like, we can, I think we have this opportunity in prayer to move forward together, not as a collection of individuals, but as maybe little pods of people that have one or two people in our lives that we can share our dreams with and our hopes with and our brokenness with and our sin with so that they can help us to seek the grace and the face of God together. Now, as this Acts 2 community, right, they made time for one another, they were in the scriptures together, as they were praying for each other, they got to know each other. And as they got to know each other, they then also shared their stuff with one another. Right, they didn't just come to share their beliefs and values. Right, they shared their lives in common, and because of this, they knew each other. They loved one another, and they leveraged what they had to serve one another. This is what Luke writes. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Right? They were experienced the generosity of God. And out of that generosity, they were generous with each other. Now, some of us, we read this text and we're like, man, that ain't happening today, you know? There's the inner cynic, the inner sort of disillusionment, the inner sort of disenchantment. We're like, no, that's not going to happen. I just want to tell you, that that is totally a lie. That as actually the reason we are sitting here today is because that did happen. Two years ago, this church was on its last legs wondering, are we going to have to close our doors? Guess what happened? A local church in Carmel said, you know what? 
We've been praying for you. How can we help? Then they sold fields. They sold possessions. They sold out of their abundance to fund this replant. This is not in first century reality. That has happened today. You are living in a congregation that has been the beneficiary of people leveraging their abundance in a time of need. And the truth is, I see it now. As many of you are giving out of your abundance to fund what God is doing in this place. I see it in the lives of corporately and in the lives of individuals. I know a lot of different needs individually, and I have seen how people in this body have come together and said, we are going to support you as individuals as they were struggling to make ends meet. There is at this point in this body this reality that people are sharing out of their abundance because they have received from the generosity of God. It is beautiful and it is good. Now, I think sometimes, though, you might at this point feel this like inner tension of like, oh, this is just so much to do, you know? How can we do this? It feels like muscling up in like the land of impossible things, right? I think one of the cool things about this isn't simply about us being like, we're awesome, you know, but this is going to be hard, you know. When you actually look at Acts 2, what you see is there's incredible fruit from their effort. What do we see? One, God is doing awesome stuff. What do we see? There is awe, there's wonder, there's signs. You see, as these people are moving together, God is like showering his blessings upon them. God is on the move. Two, every need is met, right? Verse 45, they had all they needed. Three, gratefulness abounds, right? They have, verse 46, glad and generous hearts praising God. Four, people are attracted. What do you see in verse 47, right? Numbers are increasing daily, right? This is John 13. As they're loving one another, as they're making time, as they're in the scriptures, all these people are like, God is on the move in this place and I want to be a part of it. Because I think on some deep level, we read the New Testament and we wonder, well, you know, can my life ever feel like that? And I think I want to say to us, yes. But it is going to require us to take an honest look at our lives and say, are we willing to follow the model that we see in the scriptures of what it looks like for a church body to seek first the kingdom of God? Are we willing to be that kind of people? The thing is, you know, you can read about Acts 2 and you're like, that's a cool idea. But the community of Acts 2 is not an idea. And it's a reality that people risk for. And it's going to require all of us, if we want to live into that kind of reality, to take some risks to be known to make some adjustments in the craziness of our life for one another. The question is, do we, do we want that? How do we do it? Right? In some ways, we can sort of be hear a message like this and be like, that's great in theory, but you have no idea what my life is like. The problem is, that is the collective answer for our general culture. 
right? The cultural push is towards overcommitment, busyness, this sense of juggling and overwhelmness, stress and anxiety, because there's just so much going on. And the question, I think, for us today is, are we going to listen to the wooing voice of the Father calling us to himself and to one another? Or are we going to listen to the voice of our culture, which says, hey, you have to do all things. Good luck. Practically, what does this look like? I want to give a couple just super concrete ways forward. The first is this. I think we need to think in thirds. And what I mean by that is this. I would like you to think of your spiritual life in thirds. You have big church. And that's what this is. Seeking first the kingdom, I think it means prioritizing this space for a few reasons. One, this is one of the few times when we are all together under common teaching, in the scriptures together, praying together as a body, in worship together, hanging out after. This is one of the few times in the life of our body, right, where we are all together. But there's this kind of push in our culture away from Sunday morning to like, well, maybe I'll come once a month or, you know, if I really rally, maybe twice. And I think that what it does is it actually undercuts our ability to really be together as a large community. So what does it look like for us to prioritize this space? Second would be small communities, right? The problem with this space is it's going to be hard to be intimately known on any kind of level. It's hard for someone to really know you. So there has to be a way in which we also prioritize small communities in our life. Now, I'm super flexible on what these look like. I'm not like sitting up here saying, it has to be this, you know? I think that we have a lot of different lifestyles, a lot of different schedules. So how do we do this together? Right? You can sort of form your own, create your own little pods. But I thought it might be helpful just to list out a few ways that you could concretely do this, almost like starting this week, if you wanted. Here are a couple things that are literally going on already in the life of the body uh, that you could jump into. First, we have a group of people at the end of every service, we collect prayer requests, right? All those prayer requests go to a group on Tuesday morning that just prays for this community. Maybe you're a person who wants to just meet with some other people and seek the face of God together. That's what this group does. Every Tuesday at 8 a.m. and anyone can show up and pray. There's no like prayer litmus test. You don't have to pass a test. Just show up and come and your voice will be welcome. Two, on Tuesday nights, right? At 630, uh, 20s and 30s in this community, we gather and seek the face of Jesus together. We study the scriptures together. Come, check it out. Wednesday, now this one isn't rocking yet, but it will. Um, Our hope, my hope, uh, is to actually form a group on Wednesday nights where actually a lot of us come. Well, my hope is that we could have like 40 or 60 people coming on Wednesday nights. We do some sort of informal meal together. And then we break out into three or four different classes and groups where we can study specific content together in smaller communities. So you have this balance between informally gathering together, maybe over food. Let's say, I don't know, the times are sort of fuzzy at this point. But let's say you gather from 5.30 to 6.30 and you just have food, but I realize not everyone can make it at 5.30, but it's an informal space. And then maybe at 6.30, we actually come together and we break out into four groups where you have this mix then between the bigger community and these smaller classes where you can learn how to listen to the voice of Jesus. Maybe you can study a scripture with some other believers. Maybe you work through a book together. 
But Nat will be turning over every like six to eight weeks. We'll have new classes coming. So you'll have all these different ways that you can participate and jump in. So middle of January, those will start. And then Friday, right now, at 6.45 a.m., right now, there are guys that meet in this building. It's like, well, I work. I can't, you know, I can't do these night things. Awesome. Come and just pray with a couple guys in the morning. 6.45. And then we have all kinds of other one-off things, right? We have a worship night coming uh, on the 27th on Tuesday. We have a little Thanksgiving thing that you can sign up for after service. We have all these spaces where we can just connect informally with one another. These are all small community options. And I guess my challenge to you would be, I mean, that's a lot of different opportunities, different times, different fits. I get that. We have different schedules. But I would say if none of those work, and then you're like, well, and I can't really create my own with two people because I'm too busy, I would say like the red flag or the yellow flag should be going up in your mind of like something is wrong in my life if I have no availability to have any points of connection on the small community level. Jesus formed 12 disciples into a small community because I think he knew that was where the rubber was going to hit the road. Three. So think in thirds, right? And then we should have some personal rhythms. We have large communities. We have small communities. Then we have personal rhythms. What does it look like for us to seek Jesus' face on our own, right? That's why we have Abel, right? Creating space each week to attend to the Spirit. Right, to bless people, to learn from the Scriptures, to eat with people. All right, so that's think in thirds. Second would be, so that's super practical. Second would be this. I do think we have like just a key opportunity right now with stuff and sustainability. Now we're just in this season right now of trying to go from all these people sold fields to get us off the ground as a church plant. Now we're trying to get into the season of sustainability, making sure that we have enough flowing through this place to be able to uh, embody and embrace God's purpose and vision in this place at Wellspring. And so I just invite you, right out of the overflow of what God has given you, I invite you to invest in this place with your stuff. And then three is this. Let's embody the welcome of God. It's one of our core values. When we talk about our purpose here, it's to live in community, to follow Jesus, and impact the world. And I think one of the primary ways that we actually impact the world is by embodying the welcome of God. Jesus says in Matthew 13, it's like, hey, love one another. And as we love one another, we create a community that can welcome people in. What does it look like for us to embody that welcome here? Where we see it in Acts 2, right? All these newcomers are going, coming in, but they're not like, hey, come on, you know, this is my pew seat. Or like, hey, come on, like, I had my little intimate friends here. No, there's this sense of, no, we want people to encounter the living presence of Jesus. And we're willing to make space for those people to come in. Now, as we're going to transition to worship in a minute, but also one of the other things that I don't want to sort of leave off is that we also see in Acts 2 that they break bread together. And this is certainly a practice of, you know, hanging out and having some delicious falafel, you know, in someone's hut, house, whatever. But I think it's also about practicing communion together. 
So it seemed like an appropriate way before we transition into worship to create some space to also celebrate communion together as a group today. So one of the reasons that we do this, celebrate communion, is it's a reminder to us that the spiritual life is not fundamentally about what we do. We can make time, we can study the scripture, we can pray, we can do those things, and that's great. But in the end, the spiritual life is about Jesus. It is about his grace to us. It is about his sacrifice to us. And the reason we want to be this kind of people Right, so that we can draw nearer to the person of Jesus as a community, so that our lives can be transformed into his image. And communion is this profound experience where we recenter our lives on the person of Jesus. It's also a profound experience where we're reminded of the way of Jesus, that Jesus is someone who gives his life for us, right? so that we can give our lives to one another into the world. On the night before he was crucified, he gathered with this small group of people, people he loved and who loved one another. And as they're eating, you know, their pita, their unleavened bread, Jesus took the bread, he blessed it and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you, take and eat. And he took the wine was at the table and he picked it up and he said, this wine is the blood of the new covenant that is shed for you and for all so that sins may be forgiven. And what we're gonna do today what we do for communion is we have a communal experience where we all stand up and we walk down this aisle as a way of saying that this is not just an individual relationship with Jesus thing. This is about us in relationship to Jesus coming together as a body, moving towards Jesus who is the center of our life together. This is a time for us to commune with the risen Christ. It's a time for us to say in an honest way, all right, God, here I am. You know, my brokenness, my sin, the ways I'm rocking it, whatever. And have an honest moment with Jesus where we can say, Jesus, I want you to be the center. So before we celebrate communion, I just want you to take a moment and say to Jesus, all right, God, these are the things getting in my way. I give them over to you because I want to be the kind of person who is going to walk with this community to seek you first in my life. So I want to invite the worship team up and I just want to take, give us a moment to center and recenter our hope and our life in the person of Jesus. God, we come before you, just a mixed bag. God, we come before you needing you. God, we come before you. God, I come before you just knowing my own brokenness, my own sin, my own, just the waywardness of my heart. And God, I ask in this moment that you would draw near to me. God, that you would reveal to me and to us, God, the waywardness of our heart. 
God, you would reveal to us the ways in which we are not seeking first your kingdom. And God, you would, in your mercy and grace, forgive us and give us the power by your spirit to be transformed into your image. Holy Spirit, come reveal our hearts to us that we may know you more, that we may love you more. God, we want to be the kind of people that experience you like they did in the book of Acts. God, we want an alignment between what we're doing here and what we see in the scriptures. God, we want to see you alive and active in this place in awesome ways. Come, Lord Jesus. Give us the bread of life today that we may know you. Satisfy our thirst. God, we come before you in humility. We ask that you would come reveal our hearts to to us that we may love you more.